0: Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms
1: obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts. Swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. We're back to share another episode of mama needs a moment and our hearts are full because you're here to listen. We love bringing you guests who are not only doing impactful work in women's health, but also have interesting stories to share. This episode with Latasha Rouse delivers in both areas. As you listen, You'll notice that this episode is missing something, or rather, someone. Me. I had a last minute conflict at the time of recording, so Chrissy shared time with Latasha without me. I'm so bummed that I missed it because Latasha and the work she is doing are amazing. I have to say that there were several moments when my mouth dropped open, whether from shock or because Latasha said something, as Chrissy would say, tweetable. After listening to the episode, Make sure you compare your three takeaways with mine. I'm curious if they're the same. Enjoy.
0: Latasha. I am so excited to be here with you today.
2: I'm so excited to be here with you today.
0: Thank you. It is an honor to have you. You have such extensive background in so many different areas, and I know that we're going to have a great conversation. But first... Uh, one of our favorite things is to just get to know our expert guests a little bit better. We think it makes them more relatable to our audience and our listeners. And it also just makes us more comfortable talking to you to hear that, uh, you put your pants on the same way that we do.
2: (laughs) Definitely do.
0: (laughs) We, we were just at a conference this past weekend. It was mom Congress and we were going to speak to different representatives and that's what they said about the, the senators and the, uh, the representatives. And it was, it made everyone laugh, but it was helpful to hear because we often get intimidated by experts and and people that we put on this pedestal. So it's always helpful to hear, but we're going to dive into some get to know you questions. And we just want to hear what you have to say about yourself. So number one, fill in the blank motherhood is
2: transformative. Oh, I love that. Can you, can you tell me more? Motherhood is, I find for myself and the women that I work with, the time is where we find out truly who we are and what we're made of and what we're capable of and what we hope for in the future. Dreams are hatched because we look at these people and what we've, you know, what we're becoming and what we've gone through and we become a new person And so sometimes even in labor, I whisper that to someone. I'm like, we're here, we're here. It's time to push. You're going to meet that new person.
0: Oh, that is so beautiful. And how lucky for those mothers to have you by their side. If I had had someone whispering that in my ear, that would be very powerful. So yeah, transformative. And because becoming a mother is unlike any other challenge out there. There is nothing like it. And it does, it completely alters you. So yes, 100% agree. (laughs) What do you value most in a
2: friendship? Mm, Loyalty and the ability to just have fun. I'm the person who, you know, I do a lot of things. And so when I am with my friends, I'm like, this has to be fun. I need fun. So I need people who will like make me do silly things.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think those fun shared experiences are so important to cementing a friendship too, right? I mean, you can only get together. I mean, it's fun to get together over tea or wine or whatever it may be. And like talk about all the struggles you're having as a mother or, you know, whatever the case may be, you're complaining about your job or all those things, but there has to be something more. There has to be those shared experiences. And if they're fun, (laughs) it just makes, it just makes it all better, you know? So yeah.
2: we need those outlets. Everybody's so busy. We're, we're all doing so many things. And so having those outlets are, are great, but I'm also the friend that, um, if I tell you something, I don't need to tell you not to tell anyone. You have to know that not if it is today I'm wearing purple. Now, someone comes to me and said, somebody told me you were wearing purple the other day. I'm like, why are they telling you that? <laughs> It could be simple. It is not deep. I don't want to telling anybody anything because why? This was our experience. We don't have to tell everybody. So I'm that mm. friend too.
0: <laughs> so I I love that a sense of I don't I don't even know if privacy is is the right word, but like that that shared connection, it's it's special, and you don't necessarily want your business shared with other people that weren't there.
2: <laughs> no, and I do that for other people. I I, I sure. hold that dear.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely respect that. What is the most
2: daring thing you've ever done? You know, I would have to say for me, it was with my oldest son. He was four years old and this is the mom stuff. This is not like friend stuff. He was four years old and we were trying to figure out what school he was going to. And I could not go through all the things that you have to go through to get into the schools you want to get into. And my son has autism, mild autism. If you met him, you might not even notice it. You'd say he was quirky. But when he was three and four years old, it was a little more obvious. And so I decided, and my husband and I were like, we're not doing this. And we decided to homeschool. So we took the leap into homeschooling him and never put him in public school. Um, And for me and my motherhood journey, Um, that was scary, it was unconventional, it was, you know, I had all the people telling me all the things, (laughs) but inside of me, I knew I had to do it, but I didn't necessarily know how, and so with someone so dear to me taking that leap, I don't think there's anything else (laughs) that touched that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I mean, there, there are so many, like we just said before, there are so many scary things, in motherhood. And it forces you to step outside of your comfort zone time Mm. and time and time again.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, That is what it is. That's the journey. (laughs) That's how we grow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give your younger
2: self? Oh, girl, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Oh, everything you're thinking about Mm. is so not going to happen, but it's going to be okay. (laughs)
0: Oh, I, I I
2: could have t- I could have like recorded that and played that to my like sixteen year old self on repeat. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was the person who said I'm not having any kids. Oh. I am traveling the world with my briefcase, and I'll meet my husband every couple of weeks to hang out. We're not going to be in the same city.
0: So interesting. When did you feel? When did you feel that shift? When When did the family life appeal to you? Being. Stationary and one state. When did all of that sort of come into your life for you?
2: I, I, so I would say thirty was when I started going. Oh, wait a minute. You mm. know, I was married at that point, but I thought about kids, and I was like, "This is weird." There's this clock ticking. I feel like I should do this thing. <laughs> right. So about thirty, I felt, I felt that. But you know, getting married, I still thought, "Oh, we might have one." maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have one. I don't know. He wants one.
0: (laughs) I still wasn't there. Wow. And so now you are actually a mom to four. Wow. (laughs) You have an older son and then also triplets. Your triplets were actually born at 26 weeks via an emergency vaginal delivery. If you're willing, we would love to hear more about your birth story and, and mm-hmm. what that experience was for you.
2: I love telling this story. It is one of those stories that I tell often. I tell it, you know, in three minutes, I've told it in 45 minutes. It depends on the scenario. But I will say um, my story of finding out that I was pregnant with triplets was bananas. I th- I never believed that that was possible for I me. can't imagine um, I, I, no no I did do medication with my son to have him um so I just took the medication and then you know I got pregnant after a couple of tries and then with these guys you know because my husband wanted one more and I, I wasn't sure about that in the beginning but then I was like okay we'll do it so it was one more that's what we were doing <laughs> and when we went in they said. You know you probably have a seven percent chance of having twins, and I said, "Oh okay, Seven, now, One, seven, two, three, four, percent. five, six, seven, seven, yeah. okay no, okay. they didn't tell me it was a hundred percent chance of having triplets." Though. <laughs> 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 that's not what they do so I thought maybe maybe we'd have one but never you know maybe two but that was unlikely based on those odds and we did the medications we did three rounds and they were like okay it's not working um so we need to move to the next level we could move to IVF but if you want to try IUI you have like a 13 increased chance of Becoming pregnant if you go through IU, IUI. It may work, it may not, but if you want to go through that, we can't. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Um, because I thought if I had IVF, I would most likely have multiples. I just mm-hmm. felt that. Um, and so we went through three the three cycles of that. And on my third cycle is when they said, you know, you have two possible three eggs. And I said, okay, let's go and they all took from there my husband was super excited I was not there it took a minute for me because like I told him I'm like you're going to work on Monday you know after these kids are like you're you're going back to what is normally going to happen in your day time life mm-hmm. I am coming to the realization that I might not ever be able to work again and that is very far from the person who was carrying the briefcase traveling the world. I think, you know, that's a big shift. And so I got there and fell in love with these babies. I started to learn personalities through ultrasounds and through just feeling them move and grow. And then somewhere around, you know, 26 weeks, my water breaks and I am literally just sitting there going I know what just happened Mm. I call my mother in the other room I tell her I call my husband I told him to come home called my doctor and they said come on in bring a toothbrush you're not having contractions so you can be here for a while and I was prepared for that and I thought I'll be in a hospital for weeks and there will be people bringing me food and I won't have to clean (laughs) I love the look for silver lining, like the silver lining. That's great. I was so tired. And so that really was, I was really okay with that piece. I didn't want to be away from my family, um, especially my three-year-old at home, but I was so tired that that was a welcome invitation. I was exhausted. And so once I got there, they gave me all the steroids and they did all the things. And the next thing I know they're you know, about, three days in, they said, you can get up and walk around. You can take showers. You can go to the bathroom. We're going to kind of let you live a little bit. And I was excited about that. And I started doing it. I questioned it. You know, if I'm true about it in my core, I thought, I don't know about this, but I just did it, you know? And then somewhere around day four, Friday morning, I am having these cramps. And I tell my nurse as she's preparing for shift change and shift change is around seven. And so it's around, you know, going in six o'clock and I'm saying, I'm having these cramps. And I think it's the laxatives that you're giving me. And she said, don't take them anymore. When they bring them in, don't take them. And, you know, we'll see how that does. And I said, okay. And she walks out and I have to go to the bathroom. So I walk in to go to the bathroom and something felt different. And so I reached and I felt my daughter's head (gasps) oh my gosh and when I felt her head there was nothing else to do the contractions started um and it was almost like this mind-body connection like she was there when I walked in the bathroom but I wasn't having the contractions that I felt once I knew she was there (laughs) and so I pushed and I had this moment of a little harder not that hard okay put your hands down all right push all right catch her don't turn her up so that the fluid doesn't go into her lungs hold her head down hold her between her shoulders catch her head all of these things are running through my mind as if the instructions were meant for me
0: were you already a doula at that point no
2: oh no, I had not. No, I had no. It was divine. Wow,
1: no, I have, I, I, no
2: have I have chills right now. Wow, I had no experience, and so I did what the instructions were telling me to do, and I pulled the chain. Because I was alone in this bathroom having babies in the hospital, <laughs> so I pulled the chain, and the nurse that I was just speaking to comes in the room and she stops and she holds her hands up like this and like she was going to catch a football and I said baby and she ran out of the room and <laughs> left me there holding <laughs> baby. but in that moment it was so peaceful I was really sure that this was okay and I waited for her to come back I did not move out of that spot because <laughs> my core is still attached things are coming out um, but I had this moment to look at my baby and I was like, oh my goodness. And she gave me a little, eh, you know, they're so small, 26 weeks. And that was my reassurance. Right. So everyone comes in and our little moment is over because there are people talking to me and it's loud, and they're people trying to climb in the room. The whole hospital came and they said, Okay, we're gonna give you the C section we discussed, because you cannot have triplets vaginally, right? And I'm like, okay, we're getting the OR and it's the second baby's down push. (laughs) So I'm now laying flat on this operating room bed trying to figure out where my muscles are. They're not where they were when I was standing. And so it took me some time to kind of figure it out, but I was afraid to have a C-section. I never wanted that. I always asked them, can I have my triplets vaginally? And they said, no way. So I was afraid that I wasn't gonna figure it out and they were gonna do it. But it took me about 15 minutes to figure it out. And they gave me that time. And I was able to push my second baby out. And my third baby was at the top of my rib cage, transverse, not trying to come out, like holding the walls. (laughs) So the doctor goes in, turns the baby, brings the baby down to the exit and pulls his arm out of me. I did not know he was in there that hurts worse than childbirth. I'll have another baby before I have somebody take their arm and put them inside of me um, with no pain medication. Oh man. But like I said, I was afraid. So I pushed one time and this baby shoots out. And so I had all of them six, um, 15-ish because you know, we don't know what time this baby was born. The first one, six, six, 15, six, 32 6 44 so within like 30 minutes i had all of them but you're you're like a medical marvel oh yes yes i i tell this story to clinicians and they go oh oh my god um because oh, that's god. not supposed to happen it was supposed to be planned they were they were supposed to have all the doctors they didn't have enough doctors at the hospital mm. because you need a a, yep. a neonatologist for each baby. And they don't have three on staff all the time. It was supposed to be planned. And then for me to have them, you know, so fast, I think was shocking to me. I I had no idea how that was going to work. So yeah, that's how it all happened.
0: Your mind-body awareness and just the intuitive approach you had in that moment is so powerful. And, and I, I mean, I think clearly you're very in tune. I I, I think all women have that ability, you know, and, and I think that's where doulas and midwives are so powerful is because they help foster that connection and really just I guess, showing women to trust that, because I think that's one of the biggest things is, is we yes. ignore it yes. because we're supposed to be listening to the doctors and the experts and, and they know what's best. And, and, and of course in some situations they do. And, and I mean, I would never say not to, you know, listen to those experts, right. but we also have a lot of innate wisdom within our body. And, and I think your story just so beautifully illustrates that. Thank you so much for sharing.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I—that I, that is something that I do tell a lot of people is they say the same thing to me. Oh my God, how did you know this stuff? And I'm like, listen, that is a part of the process. And it starts with, you know, being pregnant. What are you feeling? What are you, what is your t- intuition saying when you are in labor? So I have people do these things of where is your baby? You don't need an ultrasound. Where do you feel kicks? Where do you feel like getting in tune with your body and your baby throughout the process because it continues even after they're here. You get these, this intuition that tells you you should be doing something else here. And when you listen to it, your life is better. Oh, absolutely.
1: Guess what? Everyone has a spine and nervous system and can benefit from chiropractic care. Anytime there is stress on your nervous system, your body may not function properly.
0: Many people are unaware that children can benefit from chiropractic care. They assume that seeing a chiropractor is just something you do when you're an adult dealing with a bad back, stiff joints, or poor posture. True story, that was me for the longest time.
1: For example, as a newborn, you might struggle to latch or breastfeed. As a toddler, you might experience digestive issues that threaten proper nourishment. As a teen, poor posture, heavy backpacks, contact sports, and normal growing pains can lead to your child experiencing headaches, scoliosis, PMS, back pain, and ADD, ADHD. I definitely wish I had known about chiropractic care when I was a teen.
0: Additionally, as a pregnant woman, you might have persistent lower back pain, which chiropractic
1: care can be a huge help for. Believe it or not, these issues are all related to your nervous system and they can all improve with chiropractic care.
0: Chiropractic care aims to improve the function of your spine and nervous system so that your body can function at its best.
1: Don't wait for the pain. Contrary to popular belief, you don't have to be in pain to seek out chiropractic care. In fact, pain is typically the last symptom that is expressed when the spine isn't in proper alignment.
0: Think of chiropractic care as a healthy lifestyle habit. The same way you brush your teeth to prevent cavities, you should go for regular chiropractic adjustments to promote better spine and nervous system
1: health. I've never thought of it that way. Davis Family Chiropractic serves families in the Raleigh area. They want to help you discover the root cause of your problem, address it, and give your body the best tools it needs to heal.
0: Davis Family Chiropractic focuses on prenatal and pediatric chiropractic care, and their doctors are both certified in the Webster technique, which can be helpful throughout pregnancy or simply as an intervention if a baby is breech.
1: Prenatal chiropractic care helps to keep mom comfortable during pregnancy and helps to get your baby in the best possible position for birth. Davis Family Chiropractic sees kids of all ages from birth through teenagers to make sure that your child is developing properly and adapting to life.
0: Visit Davis family chiropractic at davischironc.com and on social media at davischironc. Improve
1: your family's health before it becomes an issue. I absolutely
0: love that. And I love the point you make about when they're here, because it's true. A mother's intuition is so true. And i'd like to talk about that a little bit so raising triplets would be difficult for a lot of people myself included <laughs> to comprehend to, to wrap their head around plus you already had an older child at home when you when you brought the triplets home so how did having multiples change motherhood for you how was it different from the first time around and then really, I would love to know if you have any advice or words of wisdom for moms of multiples.
2: Mm. I, I tell people one baby takes 100% of your time. Three babies take 100% of your time. You just do it differently. My approach to parenting changed with my first child. I could not stand to hear him make a sound and I was over there and I had to fix it and I had to help. With my triplets, I'm like, oh, y'all are a whole crew. Um, you can do <laughs> some things Um on your own wow look at you you're great you have partners in this so I was much more laid back because I really physically couldn't do what I did with my first one with three babies and I think they are so much more independent (laughs) than my my first child was at this age because of that they have always I've always kind of stepped back and Mm -hmm. kind of let them figure some things out and so i'm I'm so much more laid back because I can't physically be all the things that I was for my first child
0: yeah i I can see that I have one I'm, I have an only child I also was an only child myself oh. um, and you know, I think in some ways that does force a certain type of independence upon you, but also being the only child you are you're very attached to your parents in, in a certain way, and like there's a certain connection and degree of like help that is provided to you a lot. Right. And even my friends who have not tripped, you know, twins or triplets, but they have multiple children. You can see as each kid comes along, how, how much more <laughs> re- relaxed, I guess the maybe the right word, the, how much more relaxed the parenting gets as they kind of just step back. There's a little more calmness about everything there has to be right. Like you can't, You can't do everything that you did when you were just kind of dealing dealing with one child.
2: (laughs) I remember like people ask me this question all the time. What did you do when they all cried? And I was like, I turn on really loud music and I dance in front of them and they thought I was nuts and they just stared at me and they stopped crying. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Like, what do you want me to do? Dance? Okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. So the entertainment factor went
2: way up there. <laughs> way up, way up. I started making up songs. I still do it now. I make up songs. We can, if I'm trying to get them to remember something, I'll just make up a random song. I've become really good at lyrics. And I don't know, I've I've become, I became more myself. I think that was always there and I just didn't know it. And so we, we sing and dance and entertain all the time. But I think that is something I would tell moms of multiples is to, Enjoy it. This it's overwhelming, but find those moments where you can absolutely enjoy it, celebrate the milestones, eat the cake, let the rules go for a while, because this really is a moment in time. They're going to grow up. And when you look back on it and you realize just what this miracle has been for you, you want to know that you absolutely enjoyed it. Not that you did it right. It's that you enjoyed it too.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. I want to like let that sit in there for a minute. Not that you did it right, but that you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I, I mean, how myself included, how many mothers spend all of their time worried about doing it right and getting it right. And in that you don't enjoy it. You get wrapped up in the guilt and the shame and the fear. And wow, that's a, that's a tweetable. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> That's a quote right there. I like that. (laughs) Okay. You have spent time focused on bringing the parent perspective to the newborn intensive care unit, the NICU, and antepartum improvement committees at WakeMed. You've also served as a member of the NICU's Vermont Oxford Network team. I'd love to know what discoveries you made in this work around NICU's. What areas did you kind of look at and say, huh, there's room for improvement here. And then on the opposite side, this is something that
2: we're getting right. This is something that we're doing well. Hmm. So I will say that the NICU at WakeMed is a different NICU because it is a NIDCAP NICU. And that means that they uh, focus on individualized care for each baby. So they literally do a report on each baby and they watch them for at least an hour. And they watch their interactions with the noise in the room, the voices, the machines, how they move, how they show discomfort, how they are communicating with you. And they write a report for the staff and for families. And what I recognize is that report matched what I knew about my babies. I had three of them in there and each one had a different report. And that was reassuring to me and empowering to me because it helped me to realize I could, I can parent in this environment. I am the mother I know these babies like no one else. And that is something that I I loved about my experience. I got to parent, I got to do the baths. I got to feed, I got to ask the questions and, and kind of help people to learn them if they were new. I think the thing that we get right in the NICU setting is understanding that each baby that comes into NICU they're coming into the NICU with really scared parents. Really scared parents who have a lot of times never been here before, didn't expect to be here. And a lot of NICUs have support groups. They have supports for parents. They have ways for parents to connect and build community within the NICU. I think one of the things that we worked on and a lot of NICUs are working on is improving um, the education around what is necessary and what is needed at any given point so that people understand all of the gadgets that are on their baby and how they can still hold their babies even with all the gadgets. breastfeeding with gadgets I got to a point where I was able to beat the machine, so listening to the a baby if their baby drops their heart rate or if a baby stops breathing. The machine will beep to tell you that it happened. So I could tell when my baby stopped breathing because they taught me that. So before the machine beeped, I could look at my baby and then wait for the machine to figure out that it stopped. And I just go ahead and start working on getting the baby to breathe again. Those skills are bonding times. Those skills are empowering, you know, to be able to take this baby home. Because after you've seen a baby not breathing, you take them home, you wonder if it's still happening, even though they've most likely outgrown that phase. Yeah. And so the education piece that we get right, I think we have much more improvement to do around fathers because we do don't include them a lot of times as mother focused, And I think we have a lot more to do around what happens after the NICU because we do a great job while we have people in our face, but once they leave and they go home and now they have a a child that is growing up at home, what is that like? It's not the same experience if you've had a full-term baby at all. Even though we feel like that, a lot of people who don't understand, it's not. There's still doctor's appointments and therapists and you still kind of want to keep them in a bubble and you have anxiety. You know, I could hear somebody sneeze a mile away (laughs) because I didn't want my baby with compromised lungs to be sick. So I had to have that protective factor. Um, And also developmentally, you're always adjusting their age. And so you're trying to compare your child to another child on the playground, and they might not be there yet. But the key word is yet.
0: Yeah. Um, How can a parent with a child in the NICU better advocate for themselves
2: and their children? Understanding that you are the constant in their lives and that you are the person who needs to speak up and say what you're noticing. Let the staff know, call care team meetings. They don't have to be the people to call them. You can call them and say, hey, I'm not understanding what the plan is here. I don't understand what, what the goals are. I need some time and and schedule a meeting with them be there for rounds if you can't be there for rounds call in after rounds and speak to the nurse or the doctor to find out what has happened and what the goals are for the day insert your goals what are your goals for your baby you know wow.
0: yeah that's so good that's such yeah. good information
2: yeah so that's, that's, that's what I tell people. There are so many other things. And I, I tell people network, learn other families, hear their experiences as well. And you'll, you'll work together in the NICU with other families. Yeah. And
0: I'm sure it helps a lot to just not feel so alone too, to, to have that community there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you are a Jonah international certified birth and postpartum doula and the founder and owner of birth sisters doula. For the listeners that may not be super familiar, and and I'm sure most of us are at this point, but who may not be super familiar with who and what a doula is and what they do, can you briefly explain a little bit about your role as a doula?
2: Sure. So as a doula, I am there to support families, but especially moms, physical, emotional, and informational um, support. So making sure that you understand about childbirth and about any kind of special complications that you might have or what questions you can ask. Physically, being able to help with comfort measures, positioning, help with breastfeeding, all of baby care, like physically. And then emotionally, which I absolutely love, is being able to um, listen to your heart and hear what Are those changes as you become a mother and as you become a new woman? What are some of those things that are tugging at you and that you need support around or that you just need to voice? In your opinion, how does a doula change a person's birth story? It makes them feel secure, it makes them feel that they have someone that is there for them, it makes them feel as though they are cared for through their process it makes them feel as though they had the information and something was explained on their level. And a lot of women that I work with have anxiety and they're very nervous about this whole process. And so having someone go with you from being pregnant in the labor room with you and in the postpartum room with you, tell you that you can do it, it means the world because this person actually knows me. This is not a random person. So it improves their confidence throughout the process as well.
0: I think when I was pregnant five years ago and and was looking at this idea of a doula, I kind of thought about it as, oh, this person will help advocate for me. And I don't know, is that entirely accurate? Like, does a doula advocate for you or do they help a mom to advocate for herself?
2: So my philosophy is that I will do both, but it looks very differently than what most people expect. I will absolutely help you to learn how to advocate. Mm. You are going to need to use the brain tool when anything is introduced to you. What are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What does your intuition say? And what happens if we don't do this now or not at all? Those are the questions you're asking. So I'm teaching you that, but I'm also noting when you're not using it and saying, do you need time? You should have some time to discuss this and giving you the space to kind of process what just happened um when necessary but also by having that birth plan being able to say oh on your birth plan you said you want it so it that's how it looks in the room because you have to make sure that you're being professional and that you're working with staff and so you can't speak for someone but okay. you can remind them of what they said
0: sure yeah absolutely so you've been a, a doula for a little while now right
2: yes i've been a doula for three years. How have you
0: seen, because I feel like we're in this period of, of change here, especially with regard to doulas and midwives, how have you seen the profession change over the years? Do you find that you're more accepted in the hospital, more widely acknowledged in the community? Do you perhaps still run into people that don't understand the role of a doula?
2: Yes. Yes to all of those. More accepted and still people don't understand. <laughs> um there, you know, there's a, a, a nursing shortage that's happening. And so I find that an extra set of hands is nice for nurses to have. So they they're excited about that piece and welcoming. I'm finding that a lot of people are starting to learn more about doulas, North Carolina, especially has done a lot of work around making sure people understand the role introducing doulas into trainings that usually are only nurses and doctors, we are now going to those same trainings with them. And um, that has been very helpful. The pandemic helped a lot because you had so many people who were afraid to go into hospitals and not knowing what the circumstances were because of the pandemic. And having the, the person there or someone there with people when they were busy and they were stretched out, nurses started to recognize that, oh, this person is actually helping to keep my patients calm. And sure. they're actually moving them when I'm not in the room. And they're, you know, this is much better easier for us when we actually have that, that added layer of support. And so I think the pandemic definitely helped. There are still people who don't know what doulas do and I have to kind of help ease them into it. And they're a little bit guarded when they see me move a mom or help a mom move. They are a little bit guarded when I suggest a position and they're like, what are you doing? Who who are you? And I'm reminding them, I'm not just a sister or a mom, I'm a doula. Sometimes I'll even wear the shirt that says it has a definition of what a doula is on there. Oh, I love that. (laughs) But it is all of the above. We still have a lot of work to do with that area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Your website states that your passion is helping parents develop their voice in the care of their children and helping medical staff learn from and make improvements in care based on the parent perspective. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers to that, and I really love that. I, like, there's a lot of elements there that are very important, especially with where we're at today in our society. It's extremely admirable when looking at all of the ways you are actively involved in this endeavor. I'm going to go through a long list here. Real, I'll, I'll be quick, but <laughs> you, you have served as a subject matter expert for numerous highly reputable organizations, such as the American College of, of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG. Um, you were a speaker for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Amongst all of that, you are also currently working on policy with the Maternal Health Task Force, which is part of the Center of Excellence in Maternal and Child Health at Harvard Chan School. And you've worked on policy as co-chair of the North Carolina Institute of Medicine Task Force on the perinatal system of care in 2019. Basically, I threw out all these like alphabet soup letters simply to say you're a go-getter, and you're not ashamed to live out loud in the spotlight of your passion. Would you please discuss the different policies you see that are needed and that you are striving to get implemented?
2: Definitely the doula policies. We need to have doulas to be paid for by um, health plans. That is Blue Cross and United and Medicaid and all of them, not just Medicaid. We think about that one first, but it's all of them. And it needs to be something that people understand and know about. There are some pilots that are going on now where people are testing it out, TRICARE and Blue Cross. They're testing it out, but these are small pilots for certain demographics in certain areas of the state. We need to get to a place where that is standard care. We need to get to a place where childbirth education is not something that is an add-on. It is an automatic. Creating a birth plan with someone who hasn't had any education, it's terribly hard. And We also need to make sure we have standards of care. This is something women don't know. You can go to one doctor and they treat the same thing a different way than another doctor would in the same scenario because we're not all on the same page. That's not what we're doing yet. We're working towards that. And I think it's important for people to know that. I think also we need to get to a place where we ask the questions about standardly. What cultural and um, religious practices would you like to practice while in our care? Helping to make the hospital a safe place, a place where you can absolutely be yourself and not feel like you need to be on guard, those things. And helping people just to be heard and listened to, right? So those those are the things that we work on in these initiatives. But the big policy piece is, the doula piece, like that has to happen.
0: So speaking of doulas, is there a gold stand? Like, can anybody be a doula? Is there a gold standard when you're seeking for or seeking a doula? Should you be looking for a certain certification or or anything like that? I don't know about you, but I find it can
1: be so hard to move from thought to action. Yes, me too. Even when I clearly understand concepts and know what it is I need to do, I find it can still be difficult to recognize the necessity of consistent daily application. We often hear from fellow parents statements such as, I don't have enough time, or I can't seem to focus on more than one area at a time. While it may be
2: challenging,
0: when you have a clear system, integrating growth can become much easier. Dr. Sharice Johnson is a her expert for the past two years and a licensed mental health counselor that we have come to respect immensely. She created the five-on-five system of success
1: to help streamline the growth process into a manageable flow of daily habits. Mindset Matters is a guided journal designed to enhance your personal development and help you cultivate the growth you desire. In as little as 25 minutes a day, you can increase your awareness, be mindful of your choices, and create neural pathways that will expand your resilience and potential. Each journal will guide you through eight weeks of
0: focused effort. It also includes a space for daily reflection, prescriptions for growth, and
1: weekly words of encouragement, which is something I have personally loved reading through each week. If you've been looking for a simple yet effective way to stay focused on your goals, this is for you. You can find the link for the Mindset Matters journal in the show notes.
2: So right now, doulas are unregulated. So yes, someone can say tomorrow that they are a doula. So it is something that I tell people, you want to ask questions about that. You know, some people ask the question of how long, some people ask the question of how many births, some people ask the questions of what types of birth have you been a part of. Some people ask the question of certification. And I think it is going to depend on the family. There are some families who are very careful and, and and they want to make sure they have someone who is certified. There are some families who are like, I just want someone who has experience. Those things mm-hmm. can be separate. I'm a person who believes in certification. I get flack for that all the time, but I think it's necessary and I, I I say this if you bought a brand new house and this was the house of your dreams and you had to have someone come in and do repair work, is that person a person that knows this well or is this a person who's certified and that's a house that's not your body right that's not your birth experience so I believe in certification some people don't so that is something that you have to find for for you what what's important
0: sure I mean I certainly get the experience piece but there's also having a certifying body lets you know that there's a certain standard of care that you can look to expect from that individual um, yes. and that there's certain, you know, education that they've been through. So I, I certainly see the, and is Dona the, the kind of the gold standard
2: for that? Um, I, I would say is the oldest, largest. Okay. There are, we come, there are some others, like I am also working with Shafia Monroe. And so I am, I've taken her training and I am a now a childbirth educator trainer with her, um, and so she has a wonderful doula training. So there are some some others, but I know when I walk into a hospital, the training and if I if people see donor, more people know what that is, okay. and that is helpful for me and to navigate.
0: So going back earlier in our conversation, I'm, I joked about we all put our pants on the same way. So kind of in that line of thought. Do you ever get intimidated by who you are speaking to or who you're speaking in front of the organizations you're working with? Or even alternatively, the enormous change you are striving to accomplish, like you're you're working towards a lot of very big policy changes that can be intimidating. Do, do you ever feel kind of overwhelmed
2: or intimidated? Honestly, no, I don't. Because here's what I don't do. I don't read people's bios. Right. Ooh. I don't read your bio. I need to know, are we on the same wavelength? Why am I here? Who's in the room? And so I watch, I, I don't like going up first. So I watch the room. I see what people are saying. And I, um I just kind of feed into the energy of the space. I don't read bios. There are people that I have worked with that I'm learning now have done some amazing things. Right. And I'm like, glad I didn't know that. <laughs>
0: I love it. So you're, you're just a very intuitive person. I feel that's what I'm getting from you. Like you can really read a room. You can really read your body and you trust your instincts.
2: I've learned to do that.
0: Good. Good for you. I'm going to try to absorb some of that through the, through the screen. I need more of that in my life. (laughs) (laughs) This was something kind of mentioned in, in just a few moments ago. One of our initiatives includes equal access to care specifically maternal care. That's something we try to focus a lot on in Her Health Collective. I'm gonna share a couple statistics and I'd love to know if any of these have affected you personally or professionally. There's three that I'll share. In the last two decades, the number of women who die giving birth each year has nearly doubled. The US has higher rates of death than 45 other countries and the only developed country with a consistently rising maternal mortality rate. Black women on average are 12 times as likely to die from pregnancy related complications than white women in New York City. That's a stat from Every Mother Counts. So yeah, have any of these impacted you personally or professionally? Is it something you've seen in your
2: work? Yes, I'll try and do this quickly. After I had my triplets, I was at home one night and they were still in the NICU, my three-year-old was at home and uh, my husband was away for work my mother was there with me happened to be there but somewhere around like three in the morning I woke up because I felt wet and as I was laying there I raised my hand and I slapped the bed and I heard a splatter and I got up turned the lights on and realized that I was hemorrhaging I realized what was happening I'm a mama, and I knew that somewhere in that next hour, my older child was going to wake up for milk. He was still doing that, so I went. I with a bath towel between my legs. I got the milk. I called 911, and I I laid it beside him so that he would not fully wake up and see it. I called 911. I had them come, and I stayed still because the more I moved, the more I bled. So, and when I heard them drive up. I went into, got a new towel and I went to the living room and I'm like, I'm good. They're here. And when they got there, they wanted to know what did I take? They wanted to know what had I done? And then they wanted to know, can I stand? And when I told them, no, they said, yes, you can. And they lifted me up. And when they did, I fell. And throughout that whole time, I started to wonder if I was going to make it to the hospital. But once I fell they did get me out of there and they took me to the hospital and I had to have surgery because one of my placentas was not completely detached. You heard about how that delivery went. And so in that moment, I realized that they did not see me as valuable or as an emergency. They never went to see how much blood I lost. They never went to see the bed and the room and the floor. And so those delays and responses, those attitudes are some of what we're seeing in these numbers. So I've seen it happen. I am also a person who I'm at a lot of tables nationally, and I hear these stats, and I hear the women speak, and it's the same stories of no one listened.
0: I mentioned previously the, the conference that Cindy and I were had attended um, earlier this week. And one mom got up and shared the story of her stillbirth and it was an impromptu request. And they asked the, the women in the attending the conference that had experienced a stillbirth to stand and, and come up on the stage so we could have a moment of silence to honor their, their babies. And 11 women stood up, 10 of them were black and it was just such a stark i mean like you couldn't deny it you you couldn't question like it's there it's in your face this is very clearly an issue in our country and and it it's right there for everyone to see it just it took a moment i just had to sit there and really process what i was what i was seeing there because you hear it you hear these stats and each of those women had a story had a story of pain and incredible suffering and more than likely a story similar to what you shared, where she wasn't listened to, um, she wasn't given the time and attention that she needed. Right.
2: And I think um, when you look at this, you realize that you have this system that needs to have those moments of quick reactions and being able to jump in and it's not standard for everybody. That is something that people don't recognize. And I have, you know, women of color that it's, I liken it to breaking the news to a child that all police officers are not their friends. I have to break the news to some of my clients that all doctors are not your friends either. And that you need to look into that and be educated for yourself. You can't just give your care over to someone. You need to have questions. You need to understand for yourself and choose your your clinicians based on how you connect with them because everybody doesn't connect and you need to have that. It breaks their hearts to hear that they need to think about it in those ways, but it is the truth. And I say that to everyone because there are, you know, one of the toughest stories that I've heard recently or i've heard from a client has not even been from a black woman right so this whole crisis that we're in right now is impacting everyone it is disproportionately impacting women of color but i also want people to remember that we're talking about mortality we're not talking about morbidity your likelihood of a morbidity is much higher than a mortality And so when we look at these numbers, we need to recognize that there are people like me who live through it Mm -hmm. that count as a morbidity, many more of us out there. Sure. And you don't want to be either of those.
0: (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. I, I guess as we're wrapping up here, I would love to know if you truly believe that we can create a healthcare system where clinicians and patients have a true partnership and can improve outcomes. What are your ideas on how we can make this happen so it is inclusive of all socioeconomic platforms, accessible to every race, you know, just what does that look like? And is it truly possible? I think
2: it is absolutely possible. My experience working with my doctors in the NICU uh, and my nurses in the NICU helped me to realize what that looks like. I think it's absolutely possible what needs to happen is you need to have people more be you need to be around more people you need to to be around people of different demographics and you need to hear from them these stories are are needed and you also need to hear the joy you need to hear the dreams you need to learn a person you need to hear from different people the implicit bias trainings and you know being able to rub elbows and and I mean, make friends with people that are different from you. All of that helps because you learn about so many things. I was just around indigenous people in Minnesota and I learned so many things about native people and I grew up around native people. I learned so many things because each tribe is different. Yeah. Right. And it's the same way. All black people are not the same. You got to learn, learn some different people and be okay with the differences We have become this society where people stay in their little bubbles
0: Mm.
2: and they don't have to leave. You pick your neighborhood, you know what school your kids are going to go to, and you're going to work. And if you don't meet anybody in those bubbles, then that's different from you. The chances of that happening are very slim. We have to be intentional. So it's life work. It's not just things that you can do in that. Clinical study, that's helpful, yes, but it's life work and we all have a part to play in that and making those connections for people because that's the thing. It's really getting comfortable with people.
0: Yeah, there's so much power in hearing someone's story too, especially if you are a person living in a bubble that's surrounded by All people that look exactly like you, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know these other people's stories, and it can feel scary or different from you. But when you hear someone's story and you realize they put their pants on the same way, I'm going to keep coming back to this. (laughs) We're all people. We're all, you know, have the same feelings and emotions and, and move through those things. And it can just bring more reality, although we do not all have the same experiences. And we also
2: have to acknowledge that. That's right.
0: I Just as one final question, I'd love to know what message you think every mom should hear.
2: You are doing a great job. You are the perfect parent for that baby. And you are going to figure it out. We all do. Don't compare yourself to someone who's been doing it for 10 years because they were just like you when they started. You're amazing. You're awesome. Give yourself credit. You deserve it. Thank you so much, Latasha.
0: I truly enjoyed this conversation
2: so much. Me too. Thank you for having me.
1: Latasha is a force. Anyone with her on their side is in extremely capable hands. Let's see if our three takeaways match yours. And if not, that's wonderful. We are beyond thrilled that you are leaving this episode with things to reflect on. Number one, Latasha detailed her birth story and how she gave birth to her daughter, the first of her triplets, alone, standing in the hospital bathroom. She said that she followed her intuition and higher self as she stood alone in the bathroom. She is frequently asked about how she knew what to do. Her common response is that it starts with getting in touch with yourself while you're pregnant, listening to what you are feeling and listening to your inner knowing. She encourages her clients to ask themselves, where do you feel kicks? Where do you feel like getting in tune with your body and your baby throughout the process? Listening to your intuition and higher self continues even after the baby is born and throughout parenting. When you listen to your inner knowing, Latasha says your life is better. Number two, our second takeaway is a quote directly from Latasha. When she made the statement, she was directing it towards moms of multiples, but it's definitely beneficial for all parents. Latasha said quote, "I would tell moms of multiples to enjoy it. This is overwhelming, but find those moments where you can absolutely enjoy it. Celebrate the milestones. Eat the cake. Let the rules go for a while, because this really is a moment in time they're going to grow up. And when you look back on it and you realize just what this miracle has been for you, you want to know that you absolutely enjoyed it. Not that you did right. It's that you enjoyed it too. Number three, Latasha shared her story about waking up in the middle of the night, realizing that she was hemorrhaging. She mentioned that those delays and slow responses that she experienced are an example of the attitudes that are resulting in the tragic maternal mortality numbers disproportionately affecting women of color. Latasha's experienced it, seen it happen, and has heard women speak of their experiences. It's the same story. No one listened. The bright light in this is that Latasha fully believes that we can create a healthcare system where clinicians and patients have a true partnership and can improve outcomes. Her suggestion in accomplishing this, we need to be intentional about being around people of different demographics and hear from them and listen to their stories. You have to learn, learn from different people and be okay with the differences. Bye bye friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a
0: review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.